Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and it is lovely to be here once again and joined as ever by the lovable ex-England international and potentially future England international. I'm not going to give up on his career just yet, even if he's given up on it himself. Stephen Finn, how are you, mate? Hello. Yeah, I'm I'm good. I feel like that's one of the nicest things you've ever said to me, that there's still half a chance that um, <laughs> in my efforts to play for England again. I am going to take my boots when I go down to Australia in a few weeks' time. I'm going to take my boots just in case there's a couple of COVID cases and a few injuries and you just never know. I'll tell you what, that's not a bad idea because with, you know, quarantine and all that stuff, they might literally just be scrabbling around for English qualified bowlers at some point and then and then you're away, mate. I know. You'd have to get through a few first before they got down to me on the list maybe, but um, maybe eventually. So you're a braver man than me. What? So you're really thinking that you're just going to put your boots on a bowl against, you know, Steve Smith, Marnus Labuschagne, David Warner. You reckon that's that's a good idea? Well, I've seen you bowl, and you're not the most naturally talented. So um, <laughs> you know, I think I'd have more chance than you would in that situation. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. To be fair, uh, Daniel Norcross, uh, how are you, sir? How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm okay actually. And uh, strangely, while you were talking about that. I was reminded of just what a terrible tragedy I was. I used to turn up to Surrey. I, I bear in mind, Surrey was pretty crap in the early 80s with my boots and my pads and my gloves just in case. Well, uh, as a 40-year-old, you did that. <laughs> uh, uh. And we're you know, off. I, so, so, someone, 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 someone came at me at Twitter this week and said, have you thought of being less unpleasant to Finney? I thought, why would I do that? Yeah, you know, I tried. I went a whole episode, didn't I? I went a whole episode being really, really nice. And where did it get me? Absolutely nowhere. That's true. So, <laughs> it did, didn't it? Absolutely nowhere. Well, uh, no, I'd like... I was twelve. I was twelve in the early eighties, and I did used to take my boots, my pads, my gloves to every game, and I never got picked. Even though Surrey was a team that, do you know the story of um, Major Nigel Harvey Bennett? Major Nigel Harvey Bennett in 1946 turned up at Surrey in February 
to get his membership ticket, right? So he'd gone there to just like, because he'd been in the army, he'd been, been fighting throughout the Second World War. For those of you who are unaware of the dates of the Second World War, he had been fighting throughout the Second World War. And then he was discharged. And in February, he went to the Oval and he went to get his, his like membership pass for the year. And they went, oh, Major Bennett, can you come through here? And he went, this is all true. He went, uh, yeah, uh, but why? He says, well, I, mean, I, I think we should show you the captain's room. They made him captain because they mixed him up with a different Major Bennett. And for one whole year of first-class cricket, Surrey <laughs> employed Major Nigel Harvey Bennett he started at number five. He ended up at number 11. He was captain like Alec Bedser and Stuart Surridge and all that kind of shit, right? And the wisdom entry for that year is absolutely hilarious. Like, his, his want of knowledge was a sort of a, almost impossible impediment to successful <laughs> delivery of wins for the team, you know, like classic wisdom, you know. And I always dreamt that one day I could be the new Nigel Harvey Bennett. That was so he was my basically my sporting hero. But it's, kind of, it's nice that from a young age you had high ambitions yeah. and you swung for yeah. the fences with those dreams. Well, yeah, I get I, I get to play first class cricket, Toby. That was the idea. <laughs> never happened. He's sort of yet. cricket's answer to Ted Lasso. That's a wonderful story. I've never heard that before. Um, now we are also joined by a very very brave man, a brave man who's an Australian who's willing to join us on this podcast with just a month or so to go, a couple of months to go, until the Ashes. Hello to Aussie cricketing journalist, broadcaster, and all-round legend, Mark Howard. Howie, how are you, mate? How are you doing? Hello, Toby. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on. This is obviously career-high territory for me. Commentating the Boxing Day Test match was the start, but being invited on this podcast... Is brilliant. A couple of thoughts straight away. I would pack your boots, Finney. Obviously, six for in Brisbane and the first time you played there in a Gabba test. So that's good stuff. And the second thing that I've immediately picked up is when you do your live show, I wouldn't let Daniel go off the top of the story. That's the only bit of advice I've got for <laughs> the three of you at this particular point. <laughs> I mean, we've only got... Why does everyone hate the 1940s? <laughs> What's wrong with you all? We've only got an hour, Dad. Uh, in fact, uh, interestingly, Howie, well, I'll tell you what, Howie, you've really got uh, the lay of the room very, very quickly here. Although, um, less compliments to Steve Finn's career. We try and focus on how shitty he is now rather than how he was quite good <laughs> once. But uh, somebody, you may have seen the photo that we posted on the Zero Ducks pod uh, Instagram and Twitter pages this week, which was Stephen Finn posted a picture up on his Instagram. Um, and it was a photo of him half asleep. And uh, a listener replied, it looks like all the bollocks that Norcross speaks has worn you down. And that is, so you've really immediately made yourself at home, Howie. So thank you very much for that. Um, I've got to ask you before we crack on, how's life down under? Because you are literally coming out of the longest lockdown anywhere on the planet. Yeah, I'm a bit like you guys. I don't like to take life too seriously, but just for a moment, it has been a really, really difficult time. So I live in a small place about an hour and 15 minutes out of Melbourne on the coast, a little place called Barwon Heads, just out of Geelong for any of your listeners that have been in this part of the world. And as you say, Melbourne about two weeks ago broke the record, for want of a better term, as the longest lockdown city in the world. So it has been it's, you know, 260 odd days. Um, you'd be amazed if I told you how few cases have caused that lockdown, but obviously uh, it's treated differently by different governments around the world. But it's been a really, really difficult time. Uh, people haven't been able to see their friends, their family, they haven't been able to go to the pub, they haven't been able to go to restaurants for dinner, etc. Um, so it's been isolating for a lot of people, but 
the good news is, as of this Friday, the entire state is united. So Melbourne is out of lockdown now, where I am is out of lockdown, but regional and metro cannot mix until Friday. But as of Friday, we completely come out of lockdown, which is brilliant. I don't, I don't want to go into it too much except to say it's been tough for a lot of people, but we're out of it. We're looking forward. The ashes are on the horizon, so things are good now. But it's been a it's been a really strange time in Australia, to be completely honest. And all the states are rolling in a different way. So it's almost like we're a country of seven different states at the moment, all with different rules, which we can talk about in relation to the cricket. But yeah, it's been um, it's been a really, really difficult time for a lot of people. Yeah, it's been crazy. I was chatting to Howie before we, we started recording and my, my best mate lives down in Melbourne. I've been chatting to him most days and uh, yeah, it's been a long old slog. So if you are an Aussie listener, uh, I'm glad you're, you're getting through it eventually. It's interesting, actually, because uh, it's I, I've spent a lot of time traveling with Australians, drinking with Australians. And this party on Friday, I know it's not a party, but my word, Howie, I've seen some Aussies put some beer away in my time. They've been locked up for 200 and whatever days. Someone's going to get hurt, Howie, on Friday. My word. Yeah, well, it, it sort of kicked off last Friday in Melbourne when the shackles were released. But uh, here in Victoria, where it's been a very strict situation, you sort of were allowed to go out and have a beer, but you you could have a beer within 15 metres of your mates. That's about where it is. That's how strict it has been down here. So it will be. Uh, where I live down the coast will be beset by people coming from the city who are wanting to get away. So, yeah, it's going to be a party and a half. It's not being called Freedom Day, which is what you guys had, but into the mix this weekend, um, which is interesting, Toby and Steve and Dan, it's the Melbourne Cup weekend. So oh, yeah. it is a long weekend. Tuesday is the what they call the race that stops the nation, the Melbourne Cup. I'm sure you've heard of it. Massive horse race. So it'll be four days of absolute carnage, as the great Tony Gregg would say, I would have thought. Which bright spot went for the Melbourne Cup weekend? Well, let's end lockdown straight into <laughs> well, the Melbourne I mean, Cup. Oh, well, what sorry, could possibly well, go wrong? Sorry, Dad, what were you saying? Farla, has it? And, and, and that film uh, about Farla, I mean, it's a, he's the only horse worth caring about in Australia. And, and all the time, you've been basically chasing Farla, which is an impossible thing to do because he's the fastest horse who ever lived. And isn't it time to give up on the Melbourne Cup? It's just never... It's been 85 years since Farla. Just let it go. Well, what, what you're losing sight of here, Dan, my man, is that no one gives a stuff about the horse race. It's going to the Melbourne Cup with 110,000 people. I've been there frequently <laughs> and never seen a horse on track. So I think you're misunderstanding the fascination of what the Melbourne Cup's about. Nothing to do with horses. It's about getting there and enjoying yourself and having a good time. So with the shackles let off, Instead of 110,000 people at this year's Melbourne Cup, I think we're allowed 4,500 people. So it should be a, bit, should be a pretty tame affair. I, I like the idea that Daniel Norcross can dare to tell anybody to let something go that happened 85 years ago. You, you, <laughs> honestly, you, you don't let go of the honestly, 1920s honestly, like they far, happened far last week. Was, was next to Bradman. I mean, they couldn't actually decide between the two. Because you know what Australians are like, oh, bloody hell, bloody Bradman, bloody Fowler, bloody Bradman, bloody Fowler. There were there were statues to both of these fuckers everywhere across the country, or um, and then <laughs> they gone like that. I, I've never, I've never heard Sir Donald Bradman called a fucker before. Have you? Have you? Have you? That's entirely appropriate. Jack Fingleton's biography. I mean, he's he's pretty he's pretty cruel. He's pretty yeah. cruel. There's a there's a there's a fair bit out there. Go to the <laughs> well, go to the museum. Uh, how he. I'd like to point out at this point that that's not even the worst thing that Don Bradman has been called on this podcast because Stephen Finn, why don't you tell Mark Howard about your opinion about <laughs> oh, your yeah. opinion of Don Bradman and 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 how you think you would have bowled at him? 
No, we were. I actually can't remember. In don't, the say context in which... don't say we. Don't say we. Don't say we. I said that with a technique like that right now, it was <laughs> you're making me sound bad. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the plan. Uh, it, it, I might have said he was a walking wicket. <laughs> in the current game, For Bill Bones, he was a walking wicket, but you know, wow. Stephen Finn, who would have known? Yeah, maybe. I, d- I didn't ever think we'd have an Australian that would agree to come on this podcast. <laughs> Never have to relive that. <laughs> wow. So, what you call Bradman a walking wicket? There was more context to it, Howie. Yeah, the, right, there was more. Right. There was a lot more context to it. Now, um, I'd be interested in that context, Vinny. A man that averaged 99.9, but I'm, if you I'm, say so, you're the man that uh take six wickets at the Gabba and six wickets in another Ashes test. So, if you think well, you're gonna have over, good luck, good luck. He knows he knew he knew exactly where to bowl at him. Right. Where, uh, where was that again, Vinny? Full and straight, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 That's the grand plan to knock over Bradman. Full and straight. You don't think someone tried that along the way? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I stitched Finny up. I enjoyed that. Well, yeah, there you go. Well, Mark, if ever you literally have nothing better to do, I mean nothing, uh, you can go back to one of the early episodes of Zero Ducks Given and listen to Finney explain how Don Bradman's technique looks shocking and he reckons he'd bowl him over. No, we need long. we need Harry to forget about that because when I come down, I actually <laughs> want to come back to England alive after the Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, endearing yourself to the Aussie public before you've even arrived. Oh, um, right now, we're now talking about a man who certainly isn't a walking wicket and whose technique will score runs uh, in any era to come. The one and only Ben Stokes. So at the time of recording, it was announced today that Ben Stokes is back. He took some time out of the game for his mental health and also to get his finger fully healed. And uh, all of us cricket fans have basically been drooling over the videos he's been posting on social media the last few days of him in the nets, having a bowl and having a bat. Well, finally, it was announced today that he is going to be down in Australia. He said, I was in a real dark place, but now I'm buzzing to battle Australia in the ashes and cricket Twitter lost its mind. And I have to admit, uh, it was a beautiful moment. Um, Howie, what's the reaction been like down under? You can imagine here, we're very, very excited about it. Um, gutted to see that our best player's back or excited for what it does for the series? I'm actually jumping in on my WhatsApp to just have a look. We've got a group, uh, a WhatsApp group amongst the Fox cricket commentators. And there is a, a lot of talk. I'm not going to tell you who sent these messages, but I work with the likes of Hussey, Gilchrist, Warren, uh, Brett Lee involved. Uh, comments like, uh, he'll be the best POM to come to Australia since Boy George in 1985 was one comment that was made. Uh, uh, the next one here, how good that a Kiwi is coming to play for England in the Ashes. Uh, POMs might steal a few sessions now. So that was the general feeling for Fox Giga team. But in all seriousness, I, I saw his... I saw his post this morning on Twitter that just had a picture of the Ashes. Brilliant news that Ben is coming from a broadcasting perspective, from a crowd perspective, from an Ashes perspective. He's obviously box office for two reasons. I think it's brilliant. One, that he feels well enough in a, in a state of mind to be able to come and play cricket again. I think that's a brilliant story, Dan and Steve. I'm sure you'd agree with me. And two, that he's the biggest star in the side. Him and Root and Anderson, I guess, are the three big guns. So, 
as Nathan Lyon said last week, uh, when it was talked that he might be coming, you want to beat the best. And you hear that line and you think, do they really mean that? But I think everyone here is genuinely excited to see Ben play cricket. I think Australia will be absolutely pumped to see uh, this man in action. What, what he does is completely change the complexion of the England team. That doesn't mean they're going to win. It doesn't mean they're going to be that much massively more competitive. But it, it totally changes the way that every England fan and every England selector works out how they're going to uh, massage the side. And we t- had last week, we had Jack Leach in. And Jack Leach needed Ben Stokes to play, basically. That's how you get Jack Leach in. We discussed it and, and the insanity of the fact that he's, he's treated this way, but he, but he is. So you, what you do is you balance every single part of it down through Butler, through Robinson, through Leach, and through your choice of fast bowlers. It allows England to rotate their seam bowlers massively. So suddenly with Stokes there, it allows them to... Uh, have Wood, Broad, Anderson, Robinson. You've got four quick bowlers there, as well as Wokes. So over the course of five test matches, they're able to do that in a way that Australia didn't do that against India. Last year, they stuck absolutely with Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, Lyon. That was their bowling attack, and it had been that. It's been extraordinary, actually, that Australia have maintained that awesome, but they've done it for such a long period of time, uh, partly through luck, partly through the fact that they're brilliant players. At the end of that series, they were pretty knackered. Whereas, strangely, India, by being able to bring in fresh bowlers, could do that. England have got the chance to do that now because Stokes balances everything by being there at five. It will make some players, like Chris Wokes, think, oh, hang on, what's this going to do for me? It'll make other players like Jack Leach think, this is fantastic. I'm in there now. Um, it'll make a real massive bun fight for batting at five stroke six. So wherever they put Stokes, Stokes might be five, he might be six. But will it be Pope? Will it be Besto at the moment? Because you'd imagine Milan is three. You, there's so much that changes the moment Stokes comes into the team, and that's not really like hyperbole. It's not that what what he will do during those games because he might not perform that well. He's you know he's going to come back. He's not played a lot of cricket for quite a long time, but just simply by having him there and creating that different dynamic within the team and how you put your 11 together. That changes everything from an England perspective. Absolutely. And I'm such a saddo that as soon as the news got announced, I was in the notes section on my phone trying to work out my England team for the first test. Finney, I mean, we touched on, you know, that WhatsApps that uh, that Howie shared with us kind of shows the aura that he has, uh, not just for England, but for the oppo as well. And he just seems to inspire the players around him. I saw Joe Root's tweet was lovely, saying, you know, one of the best players I've ever played with, also one of the best men. He seems to inspire everyone in that dressing room. I think just with the way that he always gives 110%. In your playing days, when you were in the England setup, were there just players in the dressing room that you felt like the whole changing room were just kind of looking at all the time for a bit of inspiration if they needed it? Yeah, I suppose Stokes is that guy, isn't he? I think when... Andrew Strauss was captain. I think everyone looked towards him the whole time to be the strong leader that he was. He made a point and, and always would speak very, very well in front of the group in the dressing room. And one of those guys that when he talks, you shut up and listen. Um, and Stokes is of a similar mould because he leads. He doesn't quite lead with words, but he leads with actions out there on the pitch. And I actually think that when you go down to Australia, you need those types of characters in your team, not just because of how good a cricketer he is. It's because you need to win the respect of the Australian public, I think. And that's one big part of conquering the ashes. And what I think we actually did well in 2010-11 when we did win it 
for the last time down there was getting the Australian fans, not necessarily on our side, but to respect us. Um, and I think that Ben Stokes being there and the way he plays his cricket and the way that he won't take a backward step, I actually think that that's the sort of thing and, and how he might be able to attest to this, but it's the sort of thing that Australians do respect. Um, and you gain a little bit uh, less abuse when you're walking down the street if you've got someone like Ben Stokes there. <laughs> uh, how it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's true for all the rivalry and all the pantomime villains and the banter, and I hate that word, but whatever you want to call it between England and Australia, there are certain Aussie players that come over to England and as much as we like to take the piss out of them when it doesn't go their way, they, no question, they leave England with our undying respect and that incredible Aussie side of the late 90s, early noughties, pretty much that entire eleven earn the respect of the English public and the entire international cricket fan public. But very true what Finney said there as well. I think Aussies are maybe a bit harder to impress sometimes. Uh, maybe we've not had the strong enough teams to send down there. But um, I, I do get the impression that Stokes is one that the Aussie public, they, 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 like, they, they can see a bit of themselves in Ben Stokes. It's absolutely spot on, Toby, what you said and what Finney said as well. The ultimate compliment. So when I was growing up, when Ian Botham was playing, the description we would use is Botham. He plays like an Australian. That is what we say about English players that we love. Stokes, he plays like an Australian. Vaughan, he plays like an Australian. So you're spot on. That is the ultimate sign of respect for the Australian fan base. If they think a bloke's good, they'll say, yeah, he plays like an Australian. But I throw this at you three gentlemen, which is concerning to say the least. But there's been a strange thing happened in Australian cricket and culture over the last 10 years. And I'll put it down to the fact we see so much more cricket. So I have a nine-year-old son and I spent the winter in lockdown with him watching England versus India because we're not allowed to leave our home. He is a massive fan of Jimmy Anderson and Joe Root because he sees these guys playing not against Australia night in, night out, which we didn't see when we were growing up, Dan. You, you would have never sat there and watched the Australians play in the summer against another team. You only saw them playing England. So I, I host a podcast called The Howie Games, and I got Jimmy Anderson on about three weeks ago. It's coming up in about three weeks' time. And I, I hadn't met Jimmy before, and I sent him a message, and I sent him seven, eight, nine, or ten Instagram messages from Aussie kids saying, can you please get Jimmy Anderson on your podcast we love Jimmy Anderson. So it to me, it's bloody un-Australian that our kids are loving Jimmy Anderson or Joe Root or Ben Stokes. But I think because it's truly such an international game now, my young fella can't wait to go to the Boxing Day test. Like he loves Smithy and he loves Marnus, but he wants to go to the Boxing Day test and see Jimmy Anderson bowl the way he bowled to Coley and the way he bowled to Rohit Sharma in England. So it's so much more accessible. So it's a, it's a bloody strange thing when your nine-year-old says, Dad, get Jimmy Anderson on your podcast. But that's that, that's what's happened. It, no, I, I, I totally get that. We had a similar thing happen in the late 70s, early 80s, when people really, really got obsessed with the West Indies team because they were just the, the best cricketers in the world. And the whole idea of whether England could beat West Indies was out of the window. They were coming in to do a display like the Harlem Globetrotters. They were going to come and play the best cricket you've ever seen. And as a kid, you just marveled at it. You marveled at Malcolm Marshall. You marveled at Mike Oldie. You marveled, especially at Viv Richards walking out onto the field of play. And, and I think cricket is able to do that in a way that other sports find a little bit more difficult because 
the partisanship is at such a high level when you are like supporting a country in a weird kind of way. There's a big disconnect between you and that concept, the country. Whereas I know you are big into AFL and I know Finney's and Toby are hugely into uh, football in England and their partisanship becomes extraordinary. You know, Watford fans absolutely despise Luton fans and if they see them in the street, they'll spit on them. Uh, and there's absolutely nothing that a Luton player can do against Watford that, that can be remotely reasonable. In cricket, we, we have the opportunity to elevate the conversation and that is... I guess why sometimes people get a little bit pompous and talk about the spirit of cricket, but it's, it is a genuinely beautiful thing that we get to be part of. And your kids getting into Jimmy Anderson, they should do. His skills are extraordinary. I mean, just, just gazing at a slow motion replay of how his wrists and fingers move. I mean, that is better than sex, basically. It's, uh, it, it's, 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 I haven't told him that. Well, I haven't had that conversation. You might as well. If he's, not, if, he's not, if he's nine, he'll be fine with that because he won't know what you're talking about. That, that would be the weirdest, the weirdest conversation ever. Let me tell you about the birds and the bees and Jimmy Anderson's wrist position. Yeah. <laughs> I was really surprised. I was listening to your, your podcast uh, a couple of nights ago with Jack Leach, which I really, really enjoyed. And I was surprised by almost the the trepidation in his voice about what it is like to tour Australia and and Finney that was relating to the bubble as well and, and I hope that you know it's a changing situation we can talk about to 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 what states will allow people to do but and I and I heard you talk about it and Jimmy said you know the Australians when they get on top of you the 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 crowds are bigger the players are bigger I never really thought of it like that obviously it must be a difficult place to tour but maybe as a cricket fan I have so much love to see fantastic cricketers in action but I was really surprised to hear Jack almost with that trepidation in his voice, Finney, about how difficult it can be to tour Australia, because obviously the Australians want to win. We want to win, but I think there's a tremendous amount of love for England in general and their sports people in this part of the world. But I, I don't know how it comes across over the fence when you're at fine leg, Finney. Well, well, yeah, that, first and foremost, <laughs> there's a bloke who waits for me every time I've been to Perth. So I've done, what, three Ashes <laughs> tours now and uh, World Cup. And there's literally one bloke, as soon as I get to the whacker, first training session, first like day of the game, he's literally leaning over the boundary board and he's going, Finn, Finn, I remember you. You were shit then and you're fucking shit now. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, brilliant, mate. So I've literally jet lagged. I've just got off the plane. <laughs> Hold a couple of pies and this bloke's into me. And every single time that I go down there, He's been there. But it's funny, like one of the first things that I got told, so I was like completely wide-eyed when I went for the first time. I was 21, just turned 21. So I went into a dressing room of players who were just superstars to me, who I'd watched in the 2005 Ashes, the 2009 Ashes. And I walked into this dressing room as a 21-year-old. And one of the first things, all the meetings that we had about it was how difficult touring in Australia was because if you do get on a bad run that it becomes like a snowball effect and everything and the momentum gets on top of you and to the point where you're just beat into the ground and you can't get back up again. So one of the things that we spoke about in that 10-11 tour, and it's the only time that we managed to do it in the three tours that I went down there, was from the moment we walked off the plane, we were going to embrace the culture. So you went out and you'd engage with people in the street and stuff and if they were having banter with you, whatever you want to call it, like you would engage and be nice people. 
Um, but then also when it came to the cricket, we were going to try and win every single game that we played down there. And I think that that mindset really helped us on that tour to build up and be resilient enough by the time the first test match came around and the chips were down and Australia were miles, miles ahead. Cook and Strauss and Trot produced that second innings in Brisbane and then that's where everything changed for us for the rest of that series where we, we had great momentum through it. So it is definitely a thing. Um, and maybe you probably haven't lost down there that much, I reckon, Howie. So you don't... like. I, I've got the feeling that the Australian public turned on Australia in that 10-11 series in the Melbourne Test match after day one. And that's when we really felt like we'd broke the back of the series. Momentum, momentum is so key. Uh, I was down there for the 2017-18 Ashes and at Brisbane. If you remember, do you remember the, the press conference in which uh, Johnny Bairstow was getting done for the headbutt and Cameron Bancroft gave one of the most magnificent performances as he sat next to Steve Smith, who in a year's time were going to be both banned from cricket for a year. And they absolutely did for Johnny Bairstow. And you looked at the English press and they knew there was nothing they could do because they'd lost the game. And because they'd lost the game, they were 1-0 down and it was Brisbane. It was almost like they'd lost it, not just on the pitch, but they lost it with the press because the press was trying to help. The English press was trying to help. The Aussie press was absolutely massively on top. And actually, if you go back to the Stokes thing, if you go back to 2017-18, Stokes was banned, of course, at that point. And there was a lot of chat in the Aussie press about Stokes and about whether it, it would be, because he went to New Zealand, didn't he? And it, just in case, because he was waiting and pending. We're trying to find out what the actual result was going to be of whether or not it was going to be uh, banned or not. And there was, you really felt as, as a member of the press that there was a them and us in a way that there isn't whenever you go to other countries. And there's not, I'm not saying that's wrong at all. That's sort of like how it should be. That's what the Ashes kind of is. But if you don't win that first encounter, or you don't like hold your own in that first encounter, if you're England, you are in serious, serious trouble. And then it spirals out of control because you don't get the help and support from the outside. And it was bizarre to watch, brilliant to watch, actually. It's also a confidence thing, I think, because if you don't, if you don't put up a strong fight in that first exchange, it's almost because it's happened quite a few times now. It's like a here we go again sort of scenario. And you can tell yourself in your head that's not the case. It's not the case. But you can just sense that both sides get the feeling that that is the case and, and there's that undercurrent that goes with it. And that's why actually it's going to be fascinating to see how England cope with that. But having Ben Stokes there for that initial exchange during the Ashes is going to be so important for just standing there and facing the Australians head on. Sounds a bit dramatic, but I, I do I do really think that that's a thing. Well, it's, it's interesting you've both mentioned that first exchange because you compare 2005 Ashes, Stephen Harmison, you know, whacks Ricky Ponting in the face and draws blood. And, and a few years later, he's bowling the first ball of the Ashes to, to second slip for a wide. And so you talk about that first exchange. Now, I'm not saying those are the reasons England won and lost those series, but it kind of now is quite an iconic moment in the rest of that series. How I want to ask you on the, on the other foot, how do the Aussies talk about touring England? Because I think, you know, I go to Lords a lot. It's, no, it's not intimidating. You know, people are having a sandwich and a glass <laughs> of champagne and it's almost background entertainment. But... Western Terrace at Headingley or Edgebaston, where the, the crowd are a bit rowdy and they've been sat in the sun having beers all day. Did the Aussies ever talk about difficulty touring England? 
Yeah, I think I think it's a really good question, Toby. I think that's my exact point. The Australians love touring England, and and they love not only the wonderful cricket grounds they play on, but the wonderful way they're received and when they're out to dinner, you know, there's there's the odd knob that are going to give you a hard time. But I think this is my point that I was talking about with with Finney and Leachy. I, I've got no uh, obviously it's two separate things here. What happens on the field? You know, if you get smashed in Brisbane from a cricket sense, it's going to be difficult moving on. But I think the Aussies love touring England, and far from me to give the English cricket team any advice or anyone coming out here, but I would embrace it, like you said, Finney. I, I would be out for dinner. I would be trying to. Enjoy yourselves as a group because I think what you'll find, and it'll be interesting, Dan, you've been here a lot, obviously. Australia is a very different country to what you're used to. Australia has been in lockdown. We're a series of divided states. When there was talk the ashes wasn't going to be on, it was like another hammer blow. Geez, we're in lockdown. Now, summer's going to be taken away from us. And when Joe Root got together and the way it was reported here, convince the team we're going and we're taking our strongest team it was how good's this England is coming so I would imagine I can't talk about the bloke over fine leg Finney or the bloke in Perth but the average Australian sports fan if they see these blokes in the street I reckon they'll be pumped they're here and they'll be stoked that Joe Root's here and they'll get to see Jimmy Anderson bowling the lights again and that Ben Stokes is here I think again I you know an English cricketer might listen to this and say how are you kidding yourself but I think there'll be a tremendous amount of love for the English cricket team when they are here, when they're out and about socially, the fact that they've come, they've put on the ashes and we are coming out of what's been the most difficult time in this country without getting carried away mm. since the second world war. Uh, on that exact point, like last year I was doing the lockdown test against Pakistan, and the West Indies and the amount of actual gratitude that was there. Yes. They didn't, they didn't actually, I mean, ECB didn't go through with it because they didn't, then reciprocate with the Pakistan tour. But you know what I mean? There was this extraordinary feeling that came out over the, the sides playing cricket, coming over and doing it. Is that where we're at in Australia? Are they, because you've had how many test matches since the pandemic? Is it, how many is it? Is it? Well, Australia hasn't, Australia hasn't played a test match since the Indian test uh, series where they beat us. But we were in a situation where there was no crowds at some of those test matches. So I commentated the final test match when Richard Pant and Jadeja beat Australia. To give you an indication of where we were at, uh, I was commentating in Melbourne with some commentators. There were some commentators in Sydney. Harsha was in Mumbai and there was not able to be crowds. So, mm. you know, the Australian Open last year, the tennis, there was no crowds. The Grand Prix got cancelled moments before it was due to happen. It was two Grand Prix ago. And, and it was announced a few days ago that now with Melbourne opening up, they're hoping to get 85,000 to the MCG. So the ashes is the panacea this country has been looking for. And the fact that you guys have, like, if you hadn't come, the country would have been further on its knees. So I hope that there is a lot of love for the, for the English touring team. I think there will. I mentioned the word pantomime earlier, and it, and it is that because as much as we are desperate to beat the Australians, and don't get it wrong, we are desperate to beat the Australians. I don't think we've got much of a chance, but we are always desperate to beat the Australians. But I think when I go to Ashes Tests in England, we recognise we need the Australians, and the Australians need us for for the history, for the set, for the sake of cricket. Muhammad Ali needed Foreman and Frazier. There's no good Muhammad Ali just beating up bums all the time. Um, and England and Australia comes of a sense. So when we see those baggy greens walk out, you know, wherever it is at Lords or Edgbaston, Headingley, whatever, you know, we might boo or jeer them or take the piss, whatever. 
But I think we're always delighted to see them there because it means that the Ashes is happening and we're all cricket fans here. And you mentioned, you know, about um, a lot of love for, you know, Jimmy Anderson, your boy loving Jimmy Anderson. I mean, I remember growing up, you know, wanting to beat the Australians, but I used to find them just fascinating. I knew how good they were. So when I was young, it was that Langer, Hayden, Ponting, Martin, Gilchrist, Warren, Gillespie, McGrath, ridiculous team. And I remember just, you know, wanting to just know everything about them. And my dad had told me these guys are amazing. They're the best team, you know, I've ever seen and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's, uh, I think cricket is different. Like Dan said, the football where I'm, when I go to Anfield at Liverpool, we never cheer what the opposition do. They could score from 70 yards out on the volley. I'm not going to clap it. You go to a game of cricket, somebody plays a straight drive for four and everybody claps the claps the shot. So that's sort of the difference between this and other sports. Sorry, Finney, mate, you were saying something. No, d- d- just digressing slightly but for the 1999 world cup in england i loved australia because they won all the time and naturally when you're a kid you love the team that wins all the time um and i loved glenn mcgrath because of the way he bowled and me being lanky and him being pretty lanky i loved it so i had an australian shirt that i wore i mean i don't know if i've ever admitted this i wore an australian shirt for the whole 1999 world cup Oh, I was 10 God. years old. You well, could excuse me. In, that, in, but, in, but, in, in, fairness, in fairness, England were knocked out of the 99 World Cup, which they hosted before they got the official World Cup song out. That is... So, <laughs> actually, you're allowed to wear the Aussie shirt because yeah. England weren't there after, like, day six. So... <laughs> <laughs> I love that I love that Finney said Bradman was his bunny and fallen straight, and then he's compared himself to Glenn McGrath as a similar type of bowler. So yeah, yeah. Like, oh, he's killing well, it. How, he's how, killing how, it. How, yeah. how, Stephen Finn does not lack confidence. That's not his problem. No. Right. <laughs> have, you, have you not seen his new earring, Howie? I mean, there, there, there's a man who is not shy. This is a man who's got a little hoop it's earring. A man who's very confused, <laughs> to be quite frank. Isn't it? <laughs> um, well, very quickly, Howie, before we let you go but it's been an absolute pleasure mate and uh, we'd love to get you on again during the ashes as well but um i don't want to go too much in the 2020 world cup because at the time of recording there were so many games happening thick and fast but i do need to talk about your opening game so um south africa batted pretty ordinary and then australia replied pretty ordinary but south africa did what they always do when a game's tight and completely bottled it at the very end. But uh, where do you think this Aussie team stand um, in this tournament as a white ball team at the minute? But what do you reckon of their chances? Well, I'm the eternal optimist. So I'm like, yeah, well, they can win the whole thing. They've never won it before. Watching them bowl, it was like, well, this is fantastic. Cummins hasn't played cricket for a long time. He looks good. Stark looked a bit rusty. Zampa's a star. Do not underestimate Adam Zampa. He is a star in T20 cricket. And Hazelwood showed the fact that he'd just been playing in the IPL for the Super Kings. But the batting order was scratchy. There's no doubt about that. Maxwell's had a great IPL, made a few. I think my main takeaway, and I'll be interested in your guys' opinion, that the way the pitches are, without going too far into it, I think it'll really suit the Australians because we don't have that Indian explosive batting lineup. We don't have the English lineup that can knock over 180, 190, 200. I'm not sure that is our go. We don't have those players. We've got Maxwell, we've got Marsh and Stoinis, but it's still not a 190, 200 team. I wouldn't have thought. There was talk about whether Steve Smith should play. When you look at the decks in those first round of games and Smith's 30 off 35, 35 off 40, if the tallies are 130 to 140, I think Australia can win it. If if it's if they're fast outfields, uh, true pitches, Dan, and it's 190, I don't think Australia can win it. So from at this stage, as you build into the tournament, Finney would know far more this about this than me. A win's a win, 
and they look low scoring. And I think it helps the Australians. I, I absolutely agree with you. I totally agree with you. What they've got, uh, what we've seen in the first stage of competition is that Sri Lanka have arrived with a battery of fast bowlers, bowling fast, fast. And they've really made a, a huge difference. Uh, you're not going to get scores in excess of 170, 180 very often, except when a bowling side does badly. That's, that's how that's going to happen. And so Australia have actually got a really good chance in this. And they've got another really good chance because they're in the group of death. So let's be really clear about this. A group of death is actually a group of life. When six teams can all beat each other, it means that you don't have to panic if you lose one game. Actually, the other group is the absolute disaster where India have lost against Pakistan. They can't afford to lose against New Zealand. They can't really afford. They can't afford to lose against Afghanistan. That's a good matchup, actually. Afghanistan against India is a really good matchup because of the way they play. So India are under enormous pressure. Whereas actually, England and Australia, who won their first games, they've got a little bit of wiggle room. You can get through that group losing two games. You could win three, lose two, because other sides will take games off other people. So. In T20, which is a game of such fine margins, that's really, really important. The, the other thing that Australia have got is uh, what a bowling lineup that is. They've taken their test bowling lineup, and Hazelwood, he is an absolute gun bowler. I mean, anybody who's stood next to a pitch that Hazelwood is bowling on, he bowls a pretty full length and it's hit you in the sternum. I mean, how the hell do you play those kind of balls? He is, he's an extraordinary bloody bowler. The most underrated bowler in world cricket, in my view. So, yeah, Australia, are, are, they are a serious bolter. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think um, I think the conditions have made it such a different tournament. Um, and, and, I, and I think it suits England a little bit as well, because Rashid and Ali can, are probably two of our finest white ball bowlers. Tymon Mills bowling those cutters into the pitch as well. I think that that's going to suit him as well. So it has changed the whole dynamic of the tournament. I think the conditions so far. Um, England were obviously superb in bowling up West Indies for, for 55. But we can't not mention before we finish this podcast, Pakistan Oi. beating India and not just beating them, but to do it in that fashion. They won by 10 wickets. And I mean, you talked about, you know, power batting lineups. Well, that opening partnership, pretty ridiculous. Uh, Rizwan's got a batting average of over 100 in 2020 cricket in the year 2021, which is absolutely terrifying. Uh, he got 79 not out of 55 balls and Azam got 68 not out of 52 balls. But yeah, Pakistan, 29 years they've been waiting for that. What an unbelievable performance. And the tournament, uh, I feel like it's now, that game has really taken it to a whole new level, the tournament. The first day, you know, was a great first game. Then England spanked West Indies. Then in England, the Liverpool-Man United game was huge. But I think that India-Pakistan game has really suddenly made the 2020 the sexiest thing on at the moment. Um, I had to slip that in there somewhere, by the way. Um, but Howie, very quickly, before I let you go, but mate, it's been a pleasure. Um, Stephen Finn is on his way down to work in Australia for the Ashes. Can you look after him for us, mate? We're, we're worried about him. I can, and it's a pleasure to see him. My, my only concern is for a man that works in um, the spoken word medium, podcasting and radio, is he doesn't say a great deal. So I think he's going to have to say a little bit more to really get more of a cut through. He quite a quite, it was sold to me that this is Stephen Finn's podcast. I was like, wow, I've seen this bloke at six for, I can't wait to come on. He's going to entertain me with all these stories. His stories are good, but he doesn't say a great deal. So Dan, does he need to speak a bit more? How am I meant to get a word in edgeways with this bloody ancient fossil? 
<laughs> doing 15 minute monologues in a 45 minute episode of a podcast i'm like I, i'm on track here i want to keep it concise and easy for sal to edit so therefore i have to keep my stories nice and compact so dan can waffle on for 15 minutes about absolutely nothing <laughs> uh yeah how he's, he's pretty much at the nail on the head there however don't forget that in those few moments that he did speak he did Say that Bradman was a walking no. wicket and that he was a similar bowler to Ben McGrath. So let's never you? forget that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's a very concise self hater. He's, he's absolutely, absolutely destroys his own career in, in, in very few words. And... So the live the live show. Well, I just I, I'm fascinated by the live show. I want to know how this is going to run out. I know there's been a run on tickets and there's not many left uh, to get on the show. I'm sure you can explain how to. But is Finney going to come out and give his best 18 seconds at the start and then Dan tell a 48 minute story? How's your plan? I want to know what the show is. Now I've well, attached myself to this brand. Well, I'm so glad you asked because, first of all, we do need to plug the tickets. And don't forget Ticketmaster, uh, Podicon. So, November 13th, 5 p.m., come and see us live. Um, yes, well, Howie, it gets worse because not only, because I've got to share this fucking rabble. So, not only am I going to have to sit there and tell Dan to shut up. Um, and try and tee Finney up for some stories. We've got Steve Harmison joining us as a special guest for this. So I've got to tell Dan to shut up to not only let Finney speak, but now Steve Harmison speak as well. Um, you're, you're right to ask what the plan is. Me and producer Sal are going to sit down next week and basically work out. I think we're going to wheel Daniel Norcross out um, like Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> on <a train>. I <laughs> like that idea, actually. That's a, that's that, that's <laughs> he's watched yeah. videos on that, hasn't he, before? Yeah, yeah, I bet you do, you dirty Jesus me. Is it going to be live streamed so I can watch it? Is it going to be streamed? Am I going to be able to watch it down here in well, Melbourne? Just for you. Uh, no, because yeah, I, I, no, that's gonna, it's hard enough selling tickets when we say that you've got to be there, so we can't stop offering the live stream. Howie, 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 if you want. I, I, yeah. I, I, I know somebody who's a little bit you know strange who will just simply put I it bet on, you do yeah quite a few and they will do it on a kind of uh like a whatsapp audio for you if you like if you just want to like <laughs> okay That'd turn be up at six in the morning whatever your time is it's about three in the morning your time and <laughs> it'll ring and then you can watch it in a, in a strange macabre environment I mean, and then you tell lot? a story and you'll go straight back to sleep. It'd be wonderful. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't help the quality of the audience, Vinny. It's, it's the way it goes. You know, if people aren't fascinated by 1940s tales of accidental captains, then it's not my issue. You know, it's, it's, it's like their issue. <laughs> That's the audience. Well, I, think, I think what I'm discovering. I'm discovering about Finney, he comes good late in the day. Yeah. He's got some crisp ones now. He's like a third or fourth spellman is when he really hits us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It takes yeah. a while. Right. Finney's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You, should bowl, yeah. you should bowl a fourth yeah. spell uh, up the uphill at Sussex next year into the wind. Yeah. I look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> Ear, earring flapping in the, in the breeze. Um, Howie, I'm going to let you go, mate, but it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. And if I'm ever in that part of the world, uh, you can take me for a beer. But uh, we'd love to get you back on during the Ashes as well and look after Finney when you see him. Anytime. I really enjoyed it, guys. Good luck with the live show and all seriousness. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm a, I'm a listener now after I listen to Jack Leach, so I'll be tuning in again. Stay safe and look forward to seeing you guys when you get out here over the summer. It's going to be a cracker. Top man, Thanks, Howie. Howie. Enjoy the rest of your day, mate. Cheers, Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. All that leads me to do is say goodbye to, to you, you two handsome mm. bastards. Uh, Finney, Norcross, uh, always a pleasure, never a chore. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on Monday. 
Stephen Finn. And uh, Dan and I, now here's a little teaser head to next week. Dan and I are going to be spending Thursday afternoon. I mean, I need to get a new agent, by the way. Dan and I are going to spend Thursday afternoon locked inside a cricket-themed caravan. And I'll explain <laughs> a bit more on Monday's episode next week. But I must get myself a new agent. Uh, so, Dan, I'll see Monday's you Monday's episode next and- week? This is the episode next week, isn't it? Is this not the episode? Or is it what? next week? Are we, are no, we, no. I'm, throw, I'm throwing forward to next week's episode where we'll be reflecting on our time in a camper van. Oh, I see. We've, we've done four, we'll we've done the 40 cam- episodes in all cross. I thought you'd worked out how this all we'll goes be by in now. The camper van. Surely we'll reflect on being in the camper van when we're in the camper van. I'm certainly <laughs> intending to reflect on being in the camper van when in the camper van because we're going to get to watch actual cricket in a fucking camper van. How good is that? I'm actually very excited about <laughs> it. Me and Dan are going to be in a camper van. <laughs> watching cricket and it's very very exciting we'll tell you more next week Uh, in the meantime chaps look after yourself and I'll speak to you soon see ya Sports Social Podcast Network it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.